people are stupid. Live to tape. Welcome to Millennial 441. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. I'm Pamela. And we're joined by one of our listeners this week, Josh. Welcome to the show, Josh. Thanks for having me. It's uh, glad to be here. With your own studio. I love it. Yes. That's so great. Uh, You are one of our supporters on Patreon, which we really appreciate. And one of the benefits at the Facebook official level is come on the show. Yeah, it's a, it's great to really support you guys. I, I've been following you guys for a lot of years on various podcasts. So when you guys came out with this, I had no qualms or issues supporting you. Cool. Well, we really appreciate it because it really does help out the show. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm a 28-year-old uh, and living in upstate New York. And when I say upstate New York, I mean north of New York City. Uh, that's a big thing for those of you who don't live in New York. Uh Moved out of my parents a couple months ago, but we'll get into that later. Uh, working full time, basically living that adult life that's always so much fun. Cool. Well, uh, yeah, you do have an interesting story about leaving your parents' house, which mm-hmm. I look forward to hearing more about. Yeah. <laughs> but first, as the midterms approach, Laura, we wanted to give everybody a reminder. Yeah. So we wanted to remind you that if you sign up for your first month of Patreon between October 1st and November 1st, we'll give you your first month at the $5 tier for free if you confirm your voter registration status. That's a free month of bonus content like hashing it out, ad-free episodes, After Dark, The Landy Show, Palace Intrigue, and so much more. All you have to do is sign up for your first month before November 1st, and then email us a screenshot confirming your voter registration status to millennialshow at gmail.com. To learn more, head over to patreon.com slash millennial. Help us save democracy, and we'll give you a free month to test out our bonus content. It's a win-win. Yeah. And also, we wanted to plug this great new site that we discovered called crushthemidterms.org where it basically takes five minutes to ask you a few questions about your preferred communication style, how often you use social media, what sorts of uh, communication styles you're comfortable with in terms of calling people, knocking on doors, etc. And it will then create an action plan for you. Super easy. So like for mine, it was like, hey, your power is your network. So share articles from these sources on your social media, write postcards for these organizations. And it teams you up with a few organizations, including ones like Swing Left, which we've talked about in previous episodes. So it's a really great resource. Definitely check it out. November 6th is coming. Awesome. Yeah. Speaking of coming, Laura, you came to (laughs) Chicago. I did. Yeah, it was so nice having you here. Yeah, and before I talk about this, I want to give a disclaimer. I've not just quit smoking after 20 years. Uh, I have a cold. So I recognize that I sound like I've been chain smoking outside of a Waffle House, but that's not what happened. Finally, Um, the truth has been revealed. I call bullshit. You have been a chain smoker. Knew I smelled uh, something on you. Only when I was in college. Anyway. Ew, really? um, Yeah. Oh, Laura. You knew this about me. Because no, I, I told you I once and you were horrified. Yeah, and I still am. I blocked it out. Now I'm <laughs> horrified again. PTSD. Anyway, well, how was Chicago? This was your first time since you were a child. Yeah. Nice time. Yeah, I had such a good time. Um, 
the highlight, of course, was Hamilton, which we'll get to in a second. But the second highlight was seeing you, Andrew. <laughs> no, it was yeah. it was really great. So uh, Mark and I went to Chicago because uh, for my birthday last year, he told me he was going to take me on a trip to Chicago to see Hamilton because he knows how obsessed I am with the show. We finally got around to planning the trip and went. We stayed with Andrew and Pat, which mm-hmm. was really nice. I finally got to meet Brooklyn which is so weird because you've had him for so long and he's like the perfect dog. <laughs> I um, know, right? Andrew's home is beautiful. Like Thank you. I got home to my place and I was like, Meh. "Oh, stop." <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's gorgeous. Um and just being in Chicago, I was like, "Holy shit. Chicago has all of the things that I loved about New York City and none of the things I hated." <laughs> It was it was just glorious, and I can absolutely see why you moved there. Um, but, of course, we saw Hamilton, which was the main point of being there. And there just aren't words to describe the experience that are even remotely adequate. I've listened to that soundtrack a million times. I know the words forwards and backwards. Um, I thought that I knew what the play was going to be like. And then they just completely blew me away. There's so much that happens in the performance that is not necessarily conveyed in the studio recording. So there are tons of surprises for you, even if you've listened to the soundtrack as often as I have. Um, Just so many moments that just kind of made you like gasp a little bit or just like stare in awe and... I came out of that feeling like I had just come up from underwater to take a breath. Like, it's just so immersive. I cried at one point, maybe Aww. two. <laughs> um, it was just incredibly beautifully done. The Chicago cast is amazing. Yeah. Uh, there was some bitch next to me. I was about to punch her in the throat. <laughs> what she, happened? She was complaining that uh, Miguel Cervantes, who plays... Hamilton in Chicago, that he didn't sound enough like Lin-Manuel Miranda. Oh and, my God. and I was like, have you been to a concert? Like ever? <laughs> you you do realize that live performances sound different <laughs> than the studio recording. Right. Um, especially when it's an entirely different person. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, if you wanted to see Lin, you should have gone and seen Lin when he was on Broadway. Like, yeah. What do you want? Um, but I started talking shit on her, and when she realized it, she stopped. Oh, nice. So that that ended that really quickly. That's just so rude. Like, you know other people are very excited to be there, and then you have to make that critique out loud around all those people who are excited. Like, save it for the ride home or right. once you're home. Right. So yeah. Rude. Well, I think she realized she sounded like a dick because she was kind of complaining to her friends, and they were sort of like, uh, yeah. Okay, like they were kind of letting her get it out. And then mm. I started complaining kind of loudly to Mark about her complaining and she stopped. <laughs> <laughs> I thought maybe you would like, like kind of make fun of her by complaining about something else. Like, I can't believe the lights in here. Why are the lights this way? <laughs> They're not like they were on screen when I saw a video <laughs> clip. Yeah. A couple other things. So I didn't ask you like what you actually did on your touristy day. What did, uh, what did you do? Well, we had uh, we, we didn't really do anything touristy. We kind of wasted the day. I felt really <laughs> bad about it. But like, 
we we had stayed out late the night before with you and Pat, and we were both really tired. And I kind of wanted to explore the neighborhood we were staying in. We were staying in Pilsen. And so I did a little bit of that. Mark had some homework he had to do. And then we went to the play. Okay. <laughs> um, but we did have deep dish pizza, which was really good. Um, and I had this awful liquor that uh, your beloved made Mark and I try called Malore. Is that what it's called? Malort, I believe it's oh, pronounced. Oh, it's Malort with the T. Yeah, it's, All right. it's a Chicago delicacy. Yeah. I had it last year. Uh, delicacy is a very <laughs> diplomatic word for this stuff. It's like if you combined pine salt and gasoline. Mm-hmm. Um, what I will say about it that was nice was it tastes horrible. It just, it's vomit worthy. But once you drink it, it's gone. Like, you know, certain liquors, like when you drink them, they burn all the way mm-hmm. down. And you're kind of stuck with like you're burping up the taste and everything. Uh, this one, no. It's just as soon as you swallowed it, it was gone. It was terrible. Everybody in the city of Chicago agrees that Malort is the worst shot you could ever possibly take. So if you're ever visiting, please ask your barman for a shot of Malort and you will regret it. But you have to do it because you're here in Chicago. Yeah. Yep. And, and what's this I- note here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I have a note in the doc that says gangbang experience. Um, it's not as nearly as exciting as it sounds. So basically, um, on the on the lift ride home after hanging out with you and Pat, as a matter of fact, this was not five minutes after Pat told me, hey... Don't walk around your neighborhood at night. <laughs> uh-huh. And I was like, oh, I think it's probably fine. Um, we weren't actually in my neighborhood. So we asked our Lyft driver, hey, we have a couple of things we need to pick up from like a drugstore. Can you stop at one? So he stops at a Walgreens, like a couple minutes from where he picked us up, Andrew. And Mark goes in to get some stuff. And me and the driver are having a really nice conversation. Uh And then he does this thing where he's like, I'm going to like back up here away from the entrance because people do weird shit at night. And I was kind of confused by that. I was like, what? Like, uh, okay. And then a couple minutes later, this guy in some kind of like SUV crossover, like rolls up right in front of us, like slams on the brakes and then is like literally stopped in front of the lift, making it impossible for us to leave. And he rolls down the window and starts yelling at my driver. And I'm like, what the fuck? And my driver rolls down his window and they start shouting back and forth at each other. I'm like not really catching what they're saying, except (laughs) the driver of the other car. I heard him yelling like, that's a stolen car, man. I ought to ram you. That's a stolen car. Oh, my God. And the Lyft driver goes, dude. Dude, bro, why are you gangbanging me, bro? <laughs> and, and I was like, my first thought was like, I didn't know that that word could be used in that context. <laughs> yeah. I always thought it meant something very different, but apparently it didn't. And anyway, they, they had a, a back and forth that was mildly concerning, but I was like, eh, you know, I'm just going to sit here and remain calm. Not much you can do about it. And... To his credit, my driver did like an excellent job de-escalating. Like he started really heavily complimenting the dude on his car. <laughs> what the f- 
and being like, man, that's a really nice car. You should drop that down, put some rims on it. Man, it'll look sick. And like this dude clearly just had his ego stroked and he was like, okay, have a good night and drove away. (laughs) What on earth? I know. (sighs) That's so Chicago. I'm just kidding. I've never heard of something. No. (laughs) It was just a weird. It was like we're in the fucking Walgreens parking lot. Yeah. It was funny though. Yeah, well, I guess so. I mean, I'm glad they didn't start like fucking shooting at each other or something. And you're sitting there in the back seat, being like, "But my boyfriend's inside." <laughs> I know. I was gonna say, if it were me, I'd be like, "I need to get out of this car right now." Right <laughs> well, now, my thing was Let me out. I was just, just like, I didn't. I thought that making a big deal out of it would have just escalated things, you know? Right. And so I was and- just like, I'm just gonna sit here calmly. See, that sounds like more of a New York City thing to me than a Chicago thing. Like, I'd fully expect to be walking down New York City and see that, like, on a casual Tuesday night. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, actually, something else that happened weird while we were in a lift. We were going to dinner the first night, and we're at a red light, and an older woman is walking across the street just pouring a box of salt. Yeah. Across the street. She's just letting the salt pour out onto the street and she's doing it on purpose. We were like, she trying fuck? to protect the city from demons or something? I was just thinking the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, somebody made a supernatural joke. It may have been Pat or, or uh, Mark. Because yeah. they both love supernatural. Yeah, it's so, so strange. Yeah, we also discovered that our boyfriends are the same person, kind of. Yeah, yeah. They were, um, they both enjoyed each other's company. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they did. And and uh, Laura got Brooklyn a dog toy. I did. I, I don't think there was anything, uh, you know, it was a very wholesome dog toy. It was a donut. I thought that was very sweet <laughs> of you. I'm sure it was referencing absolutely nothing to do with this show. Definitely not. And uh, Brooklyn loves it. So thank you. Good. I'm glad. Oh, he's such a good boy. Mm. Anyway, glad to hear you had a good time here. Mm-hmm. It's nice having you, hosting you. And come back soon. Definitely will. Southwest fucked up our flights on the way out, so we got vouchers. Perfect. So, yeah. Maybe you'll visit quite often if you win the lottery happening this week. Mega Millions, did you guys see, is up to $1.6 billion, which is the largest in history. I I couldn't believe it when the last drawing happened. I'm like, all right, surely somebody will win by now because it's gotten close to this high before and usually it gets that high and somebody wins so i woke up the next day checked the numbers i didn't win unfortunately and i'm like oh surely somebody won and nope nobody won i'm glad to hear that you've been entering because that was going to be one of my questions when it gets this high do we get tempted to actually buy tickets i don't but my family does and i just assume that they'll share their spells with me if anyone wins I don't normally play like, you know, I only ever play if it starts getting like huge numbers like 600 million, 700 million. I'm like, all right, I got to at least give it a shot. Right. It's just it's so tempting. You can't pass it up like, oh, my God, just imagine. It's just such a fun thing to fantasize about winning mm-hmm. such a large amount of money. I mean, your life would change in the snap of a finger. Well, what was it? I saw the one article. I think it was from CNN where they said if you won Mega Millions and then the next night was the Powerball drawing. And they said if you won both of them, you would have been like almost cracking the top 1,000 richest people on earth. <laughs> yeah. Um, combined, you would win $2.22 billion. It's <laughs> insane. You know, I've never bought a lottery ticket. Really? Never. Not even a scratch off one? No, nothing. And I think maybe now should be my first one. There you go. 
See, I thought we were going to get a, oh, I don't do that. You would never win answer from Laura. I mean, that's why I don't do it. But you're tempted to this time? I mean, why the fuck not? (laughs) Right. You know? It's what, $5 a ticket? Yeah, it's whatever. You know, here's there's this great meme going around right now about playing in the lottery. And it's like, oh, you bought a ticket because you know chances are... It won't really matter that you did it, but you're going to do it anyway, just on the off chance that it has an impact on your life. Did you vote? Right. <laughs> so that's going to be my thing. It's like, okay, I voted. So yes, I can go buy a lottery ticket. Yeah. If you didn't vote, you shouldn't be able to buy a fucking lottery ticket. Yeah. Good idea. I need to go buy some tickets. I The last time I did it was last year when the jackpot was really high. I read that they've been making it harder to win over the yeah. past few years. They've been adding new numbers and then... And then everybody turns out for these big jackpots. So it's actually genius. Yeah, I forget what exactly they did, but they did something with like the odds where it, it messes with it. And so, ergo, you have larger jackpots and more people playing. Exactly. And we're all suckers for it. Mm-hmm. The chances of winning Mega Millions is one in all of you guess. Oh, uh. 512 million. 66 million. I don't know. 20 million. Oh my God. Uh, Josh was closest, I guess. 302 million. One in 302 wow. million chance. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> <laughs> right. Someone has and to win. And that's why we all have to enter. It's just you get that ticket and then you look forward to the drawing because you. Your your life could change so quick. It would solve all my problems. I think like all this the, all this money. I could I could fix all my problems with some cash. What would you do if you won? I well I would um, pay off this condo. I'd give you five hundred dollars. I'd That's give it? Pam seven hundred dollars. I'd give Josh ten thousand dollars. Oh, thanks. <laughs> So much for loyalty. I know. No, right? Yeah. I'm, I would give friends three million. What? Oh my God. Wow. Yeah, why the fuck not? That's you know amazing. what? That would pay off my student loans. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, I mean my student loans are approximately two million dollars, so that would cover it. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> my brother always says if he wins, he's just cause there's six of us total, like six siblings. He's like, I'm not giving anybody money. I will buy everybody an apartment in the city they want. And that way you can continue accruing revenue for yourselves if you don't live in it. And that's my contribution for the rest of your life. That's a great idea. Stock answer. And then you're not worrying like how they're spending the money if they're doing it irresponsibly. And and if you don't have a place to live, you can live there. And if you want to rent it out, you can. Mm hmm. I hear that. Well, here on the show, we spend a lot of time talking about how not to consume garbage news, but we have a new sponsor this week to help you detox from all the garbage food you eat. Detoxing can be really helpful for your natural body functions or even just to help you feel better. Teamy Blends has a 30-day program where all you have to do is drink a yummy tea morning and night. It's so easy. Anyone can do it, no matter their fitness level. By adding the Teamy Skinny Tea in the morning and the colon cleanse tea every other night, you'll start getting rid of the toxins that are holding your body back from naturally digesting and metabolizing. 
We've all eaten pizza and donuts because we're human and there's nothing wrong with that. But what we don't know is that the leftover toxins from these foods stay in our colons for years. If you're looking for a horrifying piece of Halloween trivia, know this. We all hold about 10 to 15 pounds of these toxins in our colons, which causes you to bloat, have low energy, low metabolism, and trouble losing weight. And let me tell you, when you remove these toxins, you'll feel so much better. Coming from someone who drinks a ton of diet soft drinks, I can attest to feeling bloated and fatigued, especially in the late afternoons. Since I added the Teamy Blend's 30-day program to my routine, I have more energy when I'd normally be feeling the post-lunch slump, and I'm also feeling much less bloated. I'm really excited to keep drinking the tea to watch my progress and keep everyone at home posted. Teamy Blends has a great offer for our listeners. Go to teamyblends.com, that's T-E-A-M-I blends.com, and enter code M-I-L-L for 20% off any order. That's teamyblends.com, and enter code M-I-L-L for 20% off any order, and your colon will thank you. Awesome. This sounds great. I really want to try it. Mm-hmm. Should have brought me a packet. I kept it for myself. <laughs> Laura, have all this food, all that food. I can see why you may have wanted it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, Josh, since you are our guest this week, we wanted to talk to you about a couple of things that you are interested in. You told us you're a huge fan of Star Wars, and um, a guy who writes Star Wars comics was recently fired just for what he tweets, and his tweets aren't all that bad. So can you tell us about this guy? What happened? Yeah, so the the author's name is Chuck Wendig. Now, he's written a couple uh, Star Wars comics, one of which has come out. He did the adaptation of The Force Awakens, of course, the first of the new Disney movies. And he was working on a new set of comics called, uh, a comic called Shadow of Vader that was actually, and this is kind of the weird part, was announced at New York Comic Con like the week before when this all came down on the 13th of October. So he went on a tweet storm uh, back when the, you had the whole Kavanaugh hearings going on, and and he basically went on a tirade where he was just saying, you know, fuck Trump, you know, fuck the GOP, and it's not anything new for him. I mean, I followed him for a little bit because he wrote a couple of novels as well, one of which uh, they're the Aftermath series, which take place immediately after uh, Return of the Jedi. And and one of the things that was kind of praised about the books was it introduced the first openly gay character in Star Wars to that point. So it was like the first time it happened. It was a lot of praise for it. And so he's never one to shy away from political stuff on his Twitter account, you know. But this was the time that he just went on a uh, tirade. I mean, at one point in a thread, he goes, they can eat shit. All of them, they can eat a boot covered in shit. Winter is coming. You Cal is, you know he just goes on and on and on you know and then at one point he goes you know fuck the gop now and forever fuck them fuck those assholes those hateful hypocritical privileged ignorant deranged dipshitted and he just goes on and on and on and so it came down that he was fired over his political tweets which got a, raised a lot of eyebrows because he's a, you know a new york times best-selling author and and wrote a lot of comics for him and he he got pulled off of the uh, one comic he was working on and a, as he said, a yet to be announced star Wars novel and, you know, things kind of blew up over the weekend. And then when he came back on to the surface on Monday, 
uh, he posted a blog on his website where basically they, asked, you know, he, it was a kind of a frequently asked questions thing. And he, you know, they, had, one of the questions was, were you given any warning about this? And he goes, and he said, you know, nope, didn't really get any warning about it. They never came to him before and said, you know, Hey, why don't you tone it down? He, you know, says, quote, did you receive any warnings beforehand? Uh, he answers none, zero bupkis. Now, the answer and the one before it combined to suggest, at least to me, that the booting off the comics was, in fact, ideological. Like, okay, if you didn't like my vulgarity or whatever, you would have done two of the following things. One, you could have asked me to tone it down. They would have uh, they would have said, Chuck, you're being poopy. And then I could have decided on my own if it was worth toning down my poo-poo duty words and his, uh, to keep a job. Or, two, they would have just let me finish the last two issues of Shadow of Vader and then softly urged me off the second as-yet-announced Star Wars comic. So I guess my question to you guys is, what are your thoughts about this? I'm really disappointed in them. Um, you know, this also comes a few weeks after or sorry a few months after james gunn was fired by disney for right for very old tweets so they seem to have this pattern marvel slash disney mm-hmm. of getting rid of people who might of might offend some people um what disturbs me most about this is that they didn't even give chuck a warning right that's absolutely what should have happened said hey we're not loving that you talk like this on your Twitter. Can you please try to tone it down a little bit? Just kind of nudge him into a certain direction. Right. Because, like I said, it, he's never one to hide his feelings. He, You know, this isn't something he did out of left field and, and just was unexpected by people who follow him and, you know, knew who he was. It, it's kind of who he is. It's it's He's very yeah. politically minded. He's not afraid to share his... I mean, when Roseanne Barr was fired from her show, he, he I remember I saw he tweeted, Roseanne Barr was fired? Question mark. Good. Yeah. So, so I mean, I think he also tweets a lot of positive stuff too, doesn't he? Doesn't yeah. he tend to be like really inspirational? I see people retweeting all his inspirational stuff. Oh, yeah. Sort of like... Yeah, no, he, yeah he's definitely an inspirational type. But, you know, he, like I said, he's not afraid to make his political feelings yeah. known. And, and my point being is it's not like he's relentlessly awful all the time. Like, he's no. also good on his Twitter. <laughs> he's, he's trying yeah. to do some good in the world. Pam, I'm curious your perspective on this. What do you, what do you make of it? It's really hard because I feel like some people deserve to be punished a little more harshly. But there's this big gray area right now. And I feel like a lot of people like James Gunn, for example, um, studios are trying to make examples of the zero tolerance policy. And I think personally that they need to find a healthy middle ground because you can't just fire everybody that expresses an opinion you don't like within reason, you know? Yeah. And also, I thought that this was why people that are affiliated with organizations or studios always have that opinions are my own mm-hmm. disclaimer on their Twitter bios. So it is kind of funny to me that clearly the restrictions had not been talked about before all of this started happening or nobody would have done this or they would have purged their accounts once they got to a higher caliber in their career. Right. It's it's really messy for sure. 
So Marvel's afraid what? Uh, his his comments are going to affect sales, that these comments will get attention in the media, and then they'll have a bigger problem on their hands? Like, what is their motive for getting rid of him? I, I think they're worried about kind of the reception it's going to get, because you look at the way things are these days where, you know, anything somebody says politi- politically, whether it be for, you know, the Republicans or Democrats, wh- whatever side it is, you're going to affect how people view of you. I mean, I saw this when I went to the uh, the comedian ventriloquist Jeff Dunham had a show uh, in my area where I lived the other week. And he, he kind of brought this up that like, no matter what you say on the left or right, you're going to offend people. And I, I think it's just Marvel's trying to toe the line and be like, listen, we're just trying to put out content and put out stuff for people's enjoyment without really affecting how people think of us or skew opinions and everything. And, they just weren't really down with what he was saying. But I like I said before, I don't agree with them not giving him any more warning about it. Because like he said, if they would have given him a warning about it, then he would have judged it. He is a grown right. adult. Yeah, exactly. Interesting stuff. Well, I really hope this trend doesn't continue with just letting people go like this because it does seem very unfair. And I, I still feel ch- terrible for James Gunn and I feel terrible for Chuck Wendig. I wish they gave him a warning. And I wish Disney wasn't so uh, brutal when it came to firing James Gunn for tweets that he had made years prior. Yeah, this, and was now, the inter- this was the interesting thing for me was because you look at the James Gunn thing. The James Gunn thing was in the past and it was an interesting look there. But this was stuff that was like, OK, this wasn't like it was 10 years ago. This was, you know, a couple weeks ago. Right. Yeah. And by the way, James Gunn is now going to D.C., that oh, he's, yeah. he's going to be writing Suicide Squad 2, potentially directing it. So Hopefully WB... he can uh, make DC movies better. Yeah. I was going to say the bar is very low there, so he can only make, make it better. <laughs> I, w- I was going to say that WB doesn't give a fuck that they're hiring James Gunn with all these tweets. And then I remembered that they also are happy with keeping Johnny Depp around. So I guess it's just a little looser over there in terms of controversy. But the other thing we wanted to talk to you about, Josh, was you you said you're 28. Mm-hmm. You recently moved out of your parents' house. By the way, your voice, you sound like 35 or 40, and I mean that in a good way. Like you have a very professional deep voice. Oh, I don't like you. I don't like that I'm a year older than you and I sound 5 years younger than you. Thank you. <laughs> you're you're upstaging me in terms of uh vocal professionalism anyway so you moved you moved out of your parents house recently and why what what pushed you out well it, it was always something i'd wanted to do of course every kid that's uh, you know wants to move out of their parents house it it was just a matter of when it was one of those things like i wanted to but like i wanted to kind of be in better financial situation where because right now i'm paying off some student loans and crunching numbers and i knew it was going to happen at some point it was just a matter of when well you know Eventually, I got to push out the door with the uh, political uh, landscape, as it were, uh, back in 2016. So that, you know, that kind of started it. And then it culminated where the end of last year, I, I had to do it. I just for my own mental health, I had to get out. Your, your dad was driving you crazy. Like, what was he doing? So saying? 
when the election was kind of ramping up, it, he wasn't really that awful about it. You know, we'd be sitting at the dinner table, and this was this was back before the election and everything. And he, you know, he would say, "Oh, you know, the next president of the United States, Donald Trump." And and at the time, you're like, "Okay, you know, when they still had the field of however many, it's like, yeah, okay, whatever, ha, ha. right? <laughs> you know, he'll never win. People will come to their senses, and they won't vote for him. Blah blah blah. Well, then the election happened, and he just got. Like, it just got turned to 11. Like, I can remember the first argument we got into, and I didn't even trust, it didn't even start as an argument. He brought up the, the uh, inauguration size. You know, how big the crowd was at the oh, inauguration. No. Where he just goes, oh, yeah, it was the largest inauguration crowd ever. And I'm like, <laughs> no, I looked at the photo. It was kind of small. No, Dad, I have eyes. I can tell that it yeah. wasn't the biggest. <laughs> yeah, and it, and it was kind of like, and it just kind of spiraled into there, like anything that would happen. Like, because the thing was, he wasn't always that way. But what happened was, is he, you know, he had a job for a while where he worked out of the house, and it required him to be in front of a computer. And the computer was in a separate room at my parents' house from the television, so he'd have the radio on. And he'd listen to, there's a local radio station here where in the morning for a couple hours, they'll talk about what's going on in the area. And then it'll switch to Rush Limbaugh. And for like five, six years or however long it was, it was him for however long his show was on, because I honestly don't know. It was just him listening to Rush Limbaugh. And it kind of just, and it just kind of spun from there. And and what ended up happening is, so after, you know, Trump gets elected, it was just anything, like, there, there were times that I get into verbal screaming matches with him, that, like, I'm shaking, and I had to leave the house and, like, take a walk, because I could feel myself shaking, and, like, I just need to get out of here for a minute. Yeah. So, did you tell your parents that you were moving out because of their views, his views? I told my mom, because I my mom you know, leans more kind of on the left side. She, she kind of rides middle of the fence a, a lot of the time. She'll see both sides, but she usually leans more left. I told her that was the main reason why I said, listen, I'm moving out, not because of anything you did. I would have liked to have put it off for a little while longer and kind of get in a little better financial situation. I'm not hurting, but like, I'm not, you know, sitting on a, you know, a golden egg as it were. Right. Oh, that's very interesting. Well, I'm sorry it came to that, but I guess we can argue that one benefit of Trump becoming president is that now you're living on your own. So that's cool. Yeah, no, definitely living on my own. I've got two uh, friends, one of which I work with and I've known for a while back in school, you know, so it's a great uh, scenario. I, I definitely fell into a good situation. And they're liberal? Yes. Oh, phew, thank God. That's a relief. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Well, thanks, Josh, for sharing all that. Yeah. We appreciate it. Looking forward to hearing what else you have to say in today's episode with your voice that is better than mine. Hashtag jealous. <laughs> so this show has roots in literature. We started with a Harry Potter podcast. Then we did a Twilight podcast. And as those showed, we love reading. It can motivate us, inspire us, bring us closer together. That's why I'm so excited about our new sponsor, Audible. They are the place to discover and download audiobooks. As a listener of the show, you know that one reason podcasts rock is that you can take the show anywhere. You can be listening while in the car, out on a walk, working out, cleaning up around the house. Since they're so portable, they're so easy to consume. And that's exactly why I love Audible. I can take virtually any book I want and listen to it no matter where I am. It lets me read more. While I'm out walking Brooklyn, while I'm cooking, while I'm riding a train to go see Laura, anywhere I am, my audiobooks are too. And with Audible, it's not just about enjoying a good story. You're also enjoying talented narrators bring a book to life. And let me give you a great example. We're all Harry Potter fans here. 
The audiobook version of Harry Potter, A History of Magic was actually just released. And this book is a companion to the new exhibit that just opened in New York City. And it's narrated by Natalie Dormer, best known for her role in Game of Thrones. She does an amazing job with this book. And she's actually joined by others, including big Harry Potter names like illustrator Jim Kay and audiobook narrators Stephen Fry and Jim Dale. Audible wanted us to just recommend one audiobook, but I find that impossible. Any book you can want is on Audible. How about Sharp Objects, the book that was adapted for HBO over the summer? Or Bob Woodward's Fear, which offered an incredible inside look at the White House. All the hottest books are here on Audible. By becoming a member, you get one audiobook free every month and 30% off additional books. Plus, unlike with streaming services, once you buy your book, you own it. It is yours, even if you cancel your membership. And they have their great listen guarantee, so if you don't like a book, you can swap it. I love audiobooks, and I want you to try Audible so you can see what I'm talking about. Start a 30-day trial and get your first audiobook free. Go to audible.com slash M-I-L-L or text M-I-L-L to 500-500. Again, audible.com slash M-I-L-L or text M-I-L-L to 500-500 for your free trial. Thank you, Audible. So moving on to some news now, we have an interesting study out of Oxford University. Researchers are reporting that the old adage, face your fear, has new basis in science. The researchers used virtual reality as exposure therapy for 100 patients with a fear of heights. Most of the study's participants said they had suffered from a fear of heights for decades, reporting that even thinking about going more than two or three stories up gave them symptoms such as nausea, chills, vertigo, and lightheadedness. But after four weeks of consistent exposure to heights, quote-unquote, in a virtual reality setting, participants were measurably better, able to withstand far greater heights for far longer than those in the control group. So this is pretty interesting, and what it tells us is that we can actually train ourselves to overcome fear in a virtual way. I wanted to go around the table here. What is everybody's biggest fear? Uh, I'd have to say mine's uh, anything that flies and stings, so like bees, wasps, hornets. Oh, really? Yeah, I got stung as a young child when I was like five or six years old. So ever since then, massive fear. Okay. Um, I I have vertigo. So... Mm-hmm. That Like, for instance, the other night when we were at Hamilton, we were up in the balcony. And you know when you're, like, in the front of the balcony, so you have to go down those really steep stairs that are, like, super narrow? I, like, automatically got dizzy when I looked down (laughs) at those steps. Yeah. How about you, Pam? Um, I feel like this is super abstract, but my biggest fear is death. (laughs) (laughs) And spiders. That's probably a little bit more applicable to this. In a way, you won't have to ever face your greatest fear, will you? Because once you're dead, you won't even know it. Or will I? We don't know. Well, unless you're like Harry Potter and you have to be like, <laughs> I'm going to die. <laughs> Can anyone here see virtual reality maybe fixing their issues? Like, Josh, do you think we could put you in a virtual reality setting where like, we can have bees and hornets flying around? Like two maybe. bees? I mean, if you have a paramedic on standby, maybe. <laughs> what? What? Are you going to pass out? I feel like the first couple times I would definitely pass out because I'm like, I'm almost envisioning it where, you know, whether they're real size or they're giant and massive, like something out of an old, you know, black and white 
uh, monster movie. I, I imagine the first couple times I go to do it, I will absolutely pass out. But then I might get over it. Researchers said that it could be applied to almost any fear. And on average, the fear of heights came down by two-thirds. So pretty significant. The reason that um, I found this very interesting was my dad absolutely refuses to fly. And one reason is he has a fear of heights. He won't even go up like six stories. He He just hates anything outside of like a... <laughs> two bedroom house <laughs> and i would love to see him go through this because like when he's visiting chicago or like when we went to washington dc he wouldn't go up to like rooftop bars or anything like that and i'm just like that is so lame i i would love to see that fixed so i can actually share more experiences with him pam can we put you in like a death setting do you think that would help you Oh, my God. I don't even know what that would be like, but we could try. Well, you'd be virtually placed into a coffin. No, that would freak me out. I would cry and then pass out. I feel like that might add more fears yeah. than it would take I always away. tell everybody, Correct. like, if I die, I just need you to just like, put a bullet in me just in case because I don't want to wake up when I'm down there. Or you could just cremate me and it'll be fine because I won't be able to wake up anyway. <laughs> Laura, what can we do for you in a virtual reality setting? See, I don't really know because even though I do have some vertigo, it's not severe like your dad's. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. stop me from doing things. I'm just uncomfortable while I do them. Yeah. So I don't know if they can really help me with that. And also I have um, generalized anxiety. So I just have like the weirdest fears that'll just occur to me out of nowhere. And so like I've told Mark about some of them and he's like, how? How could you even think of that? Like, that's such a weird fear to have. Like, one fear was that I was like, I really don't want, like, a bed that has a space under it that my dog can crawl under. And he was like, oh, is it because you don't want her to, like, take stuff under there? And I was like, no, because I'm afraid it'll fall and crush her. (laughs) Yeah. And he was like, that's really weird. And so it'll just be, like, little things like that. So I don't really know how... (laughs) They can help me get over that. Mm-hmm. You know what? If they could pull like past memories from my brain or from anybody's brain, because I feel like a lot of people that do suffer from anxiety, oftentimes they overthink scenarios or like encounters that they've had in the past. And I know I do this a lot too. Like I, I replay it in my brain and I think I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. That person probably thinks that I'm an idiot now. And if they could figure out how to fix that, <laughs> I feel like a lot of my problems would be solved and a lot of other people's problems would probably be solved too. Yeah. I'm trying, I've been trying to think of fears I have, like I have a mild fear of flying, but it's really only when I'm up in the air and there's turbulence. I don't, I'm not dreading it as I get closer to a flight. Like that never bothers me. I enjoy going through the airport and all that. Um, I guess my only fear would be like no longer having a job. And I don't know how that would be. played out in a virtual reality setting (laughs) you know what i always think about when i'm on a plane i'm just sitting there in the air and i'm looking around and i'm and i I say to myself in my head this is not natural (laughs) it's very hard for me to wrap my head around why the plane is working is this the real reason why you don't want to go see first man (laughs) (laughs) i just don't think god intended for us to throw these planes up into the air it's just not right. Something doesn't feel right about it to me. And it makes me uncomfortable while I'm flying. 
I'm only uncomfortable during takeoff. Like once, oh, I lo- once we hit like the initial 10,000 feet, I'm good. Because I'm like, once you're that high up, the plane has enough time to correct if something goes wrong. But during that yeah. initial takeoff phase, if something fucks up, you're done. I hate takeoff when like it's a steep incline Ugh. and they got to turn really sharp at the yeah. beginning. Like, Other than that, I, I kind of like the thrust of the takeoff. Yeah, I'm like, woohoo, let's go. <laughs> Was that a gay joke? No. The thrust? <laughs> hmm. Anyway, that was some interesting research that we wanted to share. If anybody has some big fears, you might want to consider some virtual reality to train you to overcome your fears. Well, here's something else that should scare all of us. Uh, Scientists across the globe are warning that a huge reduction in meat eating is essential to avoid dangerous levels of climate change. So according to the most comprehensive analysis ever conducted of the food system's impact on the environment, which was led by researchers at Oxford University, global pork consumption needs to fall by 90%, beef consumption by 80%, lamb by 60%, and chicken by 35% in order to sustain human life as we know it. And scientists are actually recommending that people replace these proteins by eating more beans, nuts, seeds, grains, and vegetables. Otherwise, they say we will run into a mass food shortage and intense climate changes will start coming into effect around the year 2050. This is terrifying, honestly. I I don't think that I realized what a big impact eating animals was having on the environment. I I think that because for me, like the scope of just how many people there are on this earth, it's hard to kind of wrap your brain around that. Did you guys realize this? I got to admit, no, it's one of those things that like, when you talk about it, okay, that makes sense. I I should have realized it sooner, but it, it, you know, animals and and such to eat on the planet always, it always seems like one of those things that, you know, they're always going to be there because you go to a farm, you see, cows and chickens and, and pigs and, and, and stuff. So it's one of those things like, wow, I had no idea. Yeah. I had heard about this before, but I didn't realize the issue was so bad. That said, we're not changing our eating habits. The, ma- right. uh, the, the, the masses are not going to change their eating habits. We love meat and we're not giving that up to protect the earth. Mm. it's i I mean just think about how we've already been responding to climate issues a lot of people don't want to make any changes Mm. they don't care and they're going to give up delicious meat no no way well and i think especially um you know even though we you know it's almost 2020 like 2050 still objectively sounds like it's really far away but it's not That is within all of our lifetimes. Um, And I would fully expect the baby boomers to be like, well, fuck that. That's not my problem. I won't Mm -hmm. be alive in 2050. But it's really it just really does not take that much for for you to help kind of curb this problem. Uh, We had talked about this a couple years ago on the show. I don't know if you remember this, Andrew, but we did a vegetarian challenge in response to this issue where all of the hosts just went vegetarian cold turkey for a week. And then we reported back to the show on how it went. Um, I ended up 
loving it and continuing on it. Um, so it's been a couple years since then. And I did eventually end up adding seafood back to my diet because I felt like I still needed some kind of like meat-ish protein in my diet. But I really don't miss any like red meat, chicken, like I don't miss any of it. Sometimes I'll have it if it's a special occasion, like at Christmas, my mom makes a ham, I'll have some then. But even just cutting out one or two meat-based meals per week can make such a difference. There really is a way that you can impact this like substantively, like if you cut out one particular kind of meat, or if you say I'm only going to eat meat on these particular days. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If everyone did it. Yeah, we'd be yeah. fine. I think a lot of people too are under the impression it's the same with voting, right? People say, well, my vote's not going to make a difference. I'm just one person. It's the same with, right. you know, eliminating plastic straws or trying to, um, you know, bring your own tumblers into Starbucks to get your coffee and stuff like that. It's like, but yeah, but if everybody's of that mindset, nothing's going to change. So you should just try your best and yeah. maybe a thousand other people are also doing the same thing. And that really makes a big difference. I would love if let's just look at this in terms of America, we all cut back a couple days and I'm, I'm like a part-time vegetarian. I would say <laughs> I, I eat veggie burgers. I enjoy them. I like the morning star vegetarian products. There's a mm -hmm. few that I eat yeah. semi-regularly, but just look at how like Americans respond when we try to tax soda or make soda less horrible for you. Like people are just addicted to food, to certain types of food. And that's that's why I have such a negative outlook about this. Well, and you think about what the traditional or typical American meal is. If you go overseas, first thing a lot of people are going to say, burger. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I do that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even just looking at this from like, a cardiovascular health standpoint, all of this meat is just not good for you. Mm -hmm. Like on top of the fact that it's not sustainable at the rate, you know, at which we eat it currently, it's just not good for you. I mean, it's why we have things like increased heart disease, obesity, like all of these issues, particularly in this country. Yeah. So we're kind of kicking ourselves as well as taking the planet down with us. I've said it before on the show. I I can't go full vegetarian because I need Chick-fil-A in my life and an occasional good burger from In-N-Out or a place here in Chicago called Small Cheval. There's some good meat out there and, and I got to enjoy it. Hashtag treat yourself. Well, and the I, good thing is no one's asking you to go full vegetarian. Yeah. Thank That's God. Because I would spit in their face. Or you could start <laughs> by cutting out one kind of meat maybe and that might help you. For a while, I wasn't eating red meat at all because it's very expensive. Mm -hmm. And, you know, steak is nice, but it's not necessary. Yeah. I'm behind getting rid of meat for the most part. Like, I never, I rarely cook red meat at home. I'm, I'm usually cooking chicken if I'm cooking meat. Yeah, I'll definitely have to try and give it a shot because I know one of the things I, I cut out of my diet a lot was I used to really, really, really like ice cream. And mm -hmm. I was like, you know what? I realized when I stepped on a scale and I'm like, oh, I'm eating a little too much ice cream. And mm -hmm. so I, I tried to make, eat a healthier diet. And one of the first things I cut out was uh, ice cream. 
And while I do have an occasional little bowl every now and then, I you know I don't eat it nearly as much as I used to. And, and you know, like it's like Laura said with some of the stuff she cut out, I don't miss it all when I don't have it. You know, it's nice to have every now and then, but you know I don't eat it as much. The big trend now are these healthier ice cream pints mm-hmm. like Halo Top. Oh, they're so good. Even Target's got their own brand now. Well, and I mean, speaking of healthier versions of things, like you mentioned, Andrew, all of the Morningstar Farms products are really good. Um, I mean, I'm not going to lie and say that they taste just like meat because they don't. But it's a close enough imitation that I find it satisfying. Um, Mm -hmm. Certain things, however, like veggie hot dogs do taste like the real fucking thing. Really Mm -hmm. can't tell the difference. Which makes me wonder if I'm just being trolled by these companies that advertise them. Like, are they just real hot dogs that say veggie dogs on them? I don't know. But I mean, there are just so many alternatives that are available. Like, even if you're making chili, they have like um, soy protein based like meat crumbles that look exactly like ground beef that you can stew into a chili. And you really can't tell the difference if you, you know, spice and flavor your food as you should. Yeah, there are some great vegetarian chilies out there. Trader Joe's used to have one, and then they stopped making it. I was so upset, but I found like the exact same thing by Amy's. They have a vegetarian mm-hmm. chili that is fucking delicious. You throw some cheese in it too. Mm-mm. It's really good. There's an Amy's drive-through, like an actual restaurant, Ooh. five minutes away from where I live right now, what? and it's delicious. And you can get everything um vegan or vegetarian so they have really great non-dairy cheeses and stuff like that but they only do vegetarian burgers which is great all right well what's the lesson from that go part-time vegetarian save the earth don't you don't have to cut back everything but you can cut back a little bit yeah yep if everybody just cut back a little bit we'd be in much better shape i liked josh's idea about like stepping on the scale and being like, oh, maybe I should have less ice cream. Wouldn't it be awesome if they made scales that showed you the effects on the planet by you eating cheeseburgers three times a week? Like you get on the scale and it's like, it's like you went to McDonald's three times this week, Amy. Well, I guess your children don't need to know about the polar ice caps, huh? What the fuck, Amy? Well, it's Get like, what it is together. It? There's that weather app. It's like WT Forecast or something. Get something similar, but like WT Weight. Yeah. Uh, that'd be amazing. We should make that. Reminders and some guilt tripping would go a long way, yeah, I think. Yeah, it would. <laughs> I agree. Well, moving on to something a little happier, we have another new sponsor on the show this week that is here to help keep you smelling delicious. They're Scentbird a luxury perfume subscription service, and they keep me smelling amazing month to month without needing to spend a ton of cash. I personally hate buying an expensive bottle of perfume and then letting it sit on the shelf for years because I got tired of the fragrance. Scentbird lets me try different fragrances every month, so I'm not married to any one. It's really easy. They have over 450 designer brands like Kate Spade, Gucci, Nest, and more, and you can choose one each month. The 30-day supply they send you has 120 sprays in it to always keep you smelling great. I love these because they're small and easy to put in a purse or pocket for a quick spritz if you're trying to impress someone, or even just impress yourself with how bomb you smell. Pam, (laughs) you and I have been using Scentbird for a while now. Which fragrances have you had a chance to try? 
Oh my God, I've tried so many amazing fragrances, a lot of which I almost bought at Sephora, but you know, full bottles are really expensive. So it's really great to have scent bird around because it allows you to try all of these amazing fragrances for the fraction of a cost. So right now I'm using Gold by Commodity, Candy by Prada, Cleopatra from Toka, Lady Vengeance from Juliet Has a Gun, and Wild Child by Pinrose, and all of them smell delicious. Yeah, I agree with you. My favorite one that I got was um, Viva La Juicy from Juicy Couture. Oh my God, it's classic. Smells amazing. Oh my God, it smells amazing. And that's one that I've always wanted to try, but I saw the price tag on the big ass bottle and I was like, "Mm, I don't need to smell that good, but now I can. It's great. (laughs) And that's why I always use scentbird.com. With this exclusive offer, you'll get 50% off your first month today. That's only $7.50 for your first perfume. For 50% off your first month, text 246810 with code M-I-L-L. Text code M-I-L-L to 246810 to get 50% off your first month using Scentbird. 246810 and text code M-I-L-L. Sign on. Smell great. Shane, who's listening live right now, he says, biggest problem with fake meat is the texture slash mouthfeel. I haven't had that problem personally. Yeah, I had a um, a vegan pulled pork sandwich the other day, and they made it with jackfruit, and the texture Ooh. on that is amazing. Mm, like, that it's kind good. of crazy how sophisticated it has become, so maybe you're just not trying the right stuff. There's a lot of variety out there, isn't there? So. It's never been easier to be vegan or lactose intolerant. It's great. Seriously, that totally. ain't that the truth. I will say yeah, we had- certain vegetables that have like meat-like textures are going to be like mushrooms and eggplant. So maybe mm-hmm. try some things that have bases in those. Well, anyway, moving on to some more news. Just wanted to ask the panel, uh, do we all think we could pass a U.S. citizenship test? I'd have a fair shot, I think. All right. Uh, yeah, fair shot. <laughs> I think I could at least get a C. All right. I, I like the confidence. C's get degrees. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> oh my god, I have a shirt that says that. Cool. Well, then why does the flag have 13 stripes? The original uh, 13 colonies. colonies. Ding, yeah, ding, ding. Good job, guys. I'm proud of you. A new poll released by the Woodrow Wilson National Fellowship Foundation found that a little more than one third of Americans would actually pass our own citizenship test. The survey sampled 1,000 American citizen adults, and of those, only 36% successfully passed. That's horrifying. Respondents 65 and older scored the best, so that was about 74%. And come on, millennials, while only 19% of test takers 45 and younger passed. The Woodrow Wilson National Fellowship Foundation conducted the poll to gain a better understanding of American civics knowledge as the organization plans to announce a new educational initiative next year aimed at changing the way history and government is taught in schools. So I have a couple more stats from the from the poll here. Only 13 percent of respondents knew when the U.S. Constitution was ratified, which was September 17th of 1787. 57% didn't know how many justices are on the Supreme Court, despite all of the recent media coverage. And more than half, so about 60% of those surveyed, did not know which countries the U.S. fought against in World War II. 
Uh, I can't really say I'm surprised by this data. There are a lot of stupid freaking people in this country. Yeah. Well, and, pl- and plus, you what is it? Jimmy Kimmel does the on the street segment. Yes. Where, like he asks people really simple questions that like you sit there and go, "Oh, it's this answer," and the person goes, "Uh, I don't know." That makes me so uncomfortable every time I see that segment. Oh, it makes me feel good about myself. I'm reminded that that there are a lot of dumb people in this world. I have secondhand embarrassment for people that can't answer simple questions. Yeah, I know because you're because like, like nobody want like we all want to save face for each other, right? Like. Nobody ever wants to watch somebody get humiliated because it just sucks. It's a shitty feeling. Mm-hmm. But also, yeah. like, if you can't answer these 10 really basic questions, and by the way, in order to pass, you just had to get six right. Yeah. I don't know what to say for you. And so it kind of feels like a little bit of a gut punch because we're looking at all of the voter suppression that's happening in this country and then considering that most of the people behind it probably couldn't pass one of these tests. Right. I guess what happens is you learn a lot of this information when you're a kid and it just doesn't stick with you. Right? Yeah. It could be. And I think some of it is that we, civics really is not emphasized as much now as perhaps it was in the past, which might explain the generational divide on performance. I mean, I know when I was in high school, civics wasn't really emphasized for us. Like it was an elective. It wasn't a requirement. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Government and civics were a requirement in my high school. And also, um, I feel like my school district makes you go through it three times where they used to. So the first time we learned about it, I was in fifth grade and my grandparents were studying for their immigration test. So we studied together because it's the same curriculum, which is really funny. And then sometime in middle school, maybe around eighth grade and then senior year of high school. Hmm. Like the one thing I can remember as a kid learning was the branches of federal government. That's the one that sticks with me. I'm looking at some of these other questions and I can't remember like explicitly being taught them in in class, at least not a civics class. Like there's one question here that belongs in a geography quiz, not <laughs> a citizenship test. Yeah, but I mean, doesn't some of this sort of come to you naturally just by existing yeah, it should. Like, just by walking through your day-to-day life, being a, living in this country, it surprises me that people are so bad at this. And I'm particularly disgusted with millennials who did p- so poorly on this. I, th- I think for me, because I'm looking at a lot of these questions and I remember a lot of them, I have to give a little bit of credit to one of my middle school uh, social studies teachers. Because uh, for like the first month, month and a half, I forget how long it was now. It's been a long time. We learned a lot of this stuff. Like I, we, I remember we had to learn the preamble to the Constitution and then re- recite it from memory. Like we had to learn the 50 states and we learned about the three branches of government and just we got really in depth about all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And, like, and I always loved history class. So a lot of it comes naturally to me. Yeah. yeah. We watched a lot of Schoolhouse Rock, too. There's that, too. My school. <laughs> It just kind of makes me wish, and perhaps this is a thing that exists and it just doesn't happen in Georgia, but I would love it if there were like free community civics classes that were offered, like especially in the lead up to elections. 
you know, I wouldn't yeah. want something like that to be mandatory because that's just another way of suppressing voting. But it would be really great if there was some kind of way to incentivize people to take a class on this just so that they're better informed. Especially in 2018, it's really important that you understand not only how the government works and how it works for you, but also what your rights are, Mm -hmm. especially with regards to the amendments, because it's a really big deal. And it's it's something you should know, if not to protect yourself, then just to kind of understand why things are the way they are and how you can work to change them if you're not happy with it. Laura, I love your idea of free classes, but I'm just thinking realistically, a lot of people might not show up to them. So what if we use those new presidential alerts that go to all of our phones to teach people? That would be kind of cool. Yeah. Like just send out like fun fact. Did you know that there are three branches of government? Yeah. One one fact per week sent out, uh, let's say Tuesday morning. George Washington was the first president of the United States. <laughs> Donald Trump was the greatest president ever in the history of time. <laughs> yeah, I might have to end up with some fake news that way. Meat is killing the earth. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right. Well, I thought that we could move on and play a little game. So we have taken... The question straight from the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services website. Remember, in order to pass this, you must get at least six out of the 10 questions right. So panel, are we ready? Yes. I'm pretty confident in you guys. You've already answered a couple of these just over the course of our conversation. So how many branches of federal government does the United States have? Bonus points if you can name all of them. Three, uh, executive, judicial, and legislative. Ding, ding. Andrew, where's the ding? There we go. (laughs) Good job. All right. Uh, On what day does the United States celebrate its independence? July 4th. December 25th. (laughs) (laughs) Andrew. Yeah, Josh, I think you're right. Yeah, Andrew, you're not allowed in this country. We're deporting you. <laughs> All right. Who was the first? Merry pre- Christmas to you too, Laura. <laughs> who was the first president of the United States? George W. Washington. <laughs> right? You're not wrong. <laughs> uh, I guess I'll let that one slide. Uh, for the fourth one, what movement? fought to end racial discrimination in America. The civil rights, rights movement. movement. Yeah, good job, y'all. Cool. I honestly couldn't give you the exact name of that one. But you knew, <laughs> I guess the point was you knew what it was referring to, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So that's that's the whole thing. Uh so number 5, who is the commander in chief of the United States military? President Unfortunately, right now, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, what now this is a hard one, guys. What is the ocean on the east coast of the United States? The Atlantic. Good. Uh who see, did- but you know, like Lori, we were talking about like these questions being super easy. Maybe people in the middle of the country just 
you you don't think about the ocean because you're not near it. I can see that. It's like uh, I I can't. Why? I don't I don't I, I know. Can, I can see because I've seen those photos where like they ask somebody from like you know the Midwest someplace to like label the East Coast states and they get them so hilariously wrong. <laughs> uh, like I mean, what uh, Vermont and New Hampshire? I what are those two that are like right next to each other and kind of look the same? I couldn't tell yeah, you I which was which. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just remember, Vermont Vermont is in the shape of a V, mm-hmm. and then the oh. New Hampshire is not. Ooh, interesting, interesting. It's mm-hmm. a good one. All right, on to the next one. Who did the United States fight in the Revolutionary War? The England. British. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then what territory did the United States buy from France in 1803? Uh, Louisiana Purchase. Yeah. I loved studying that. I know. That was like one of my favorite things to study ever for some reason. It's fascinating. I like the one, I like the one bank commercial that's out now. I forget who it's for, but it's like they're oh, arguing so back Wells and Fargo. forth. Yeah. I fucking love that commercial too. <laughs> that makes me laugh out loud. I'm so yeah. glad you brought that up. <laughs> you guys are ever in San Francisco, Wells Fargo has a museum at their uh, downtown branch in San Francisco, and you can look at all their stagecoaches and stuff like that. It's a fun time to just pop in for five minutes. For anyone who doesn't know, is it's it's actually a Capital One commercial. Oh, and is it's, it? Yeah, it's it's about um, receiving a notification that your purchases go through, like wire transfers and stuff go through, <laughs> and and they receive a notification on their phone about the Louisiana purchase being complete. That's amazing. <laughs> well, it's like the, the whole government's like in arguing back and forth. I think it's supposed to be Thomas Jefferson just goes, "Well, uh, purchase just went through. We got from Napoleon sent money." <laughs> He's like, "That's Mike amazing." Drop. See, like I just assumed it was Wells Fargo because they're always like, we've been around delivering things since the 1800s. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and see, look That's at this. We have corporations that are doing a better job of educating the public Oof. than we are at educating ourselves about these questions. Yeah, they, they made the Louisiana Purchase fun. Yeah, kind of like Hamilton makes, you know, colonial American history fun. Yeah. See, this is why millennials have no um, excuse, like, Aren't we all obsessed with Hamilton? Right. We should at least know some of these. Yeah. Ugh. Well, next one. I swear to God, people like I want to know the names of people who <laughs> couldn't answer this fucking question. Where is the Statue of Liberty located? New York. New York. I New wonder York. if people just think it's like a it's a trick question. <laughs> some of or these, maybe, you know, because they're so straightforward. Maybe people think it's in D.C. Sometimes. I I just re- I really think Laura that if you don't if you live very far away you might not know the answers to these things. See, but the thing not... it is is like you see postcards from New York and a lot of them have the Statue yeah, of Liberty like in the foreground true. and then the city in the background. And they're giving true. you a pass if all you have to say is it's located in New York City. You don't have to be like it's on you know Ellis Island. Ellis Island, yeah. Is that it? Yeah. No, it's it's on its own island, but it's close oh. to Ellis Island. Oh, okay. See. See, I don't know that because I live in Chicago. But see, like, I don't think <laughs> I don't think that's something that should necessarily make someone uh, incapable of passing a test, right? They're not asking you, please provide us the exact geographical coordinates. Right. You know, right. it's like New York. You can even be as like open as saying New York. You don't necessarily have to say New York City, right? Which makes it even worse because they're making it so easy for you. Yeah. 
Actually, you know what, though? Like, I mean, it does. I'm looking at it on a map. It is closer to New Jersey than New York. So, like, if you really want to split hairs here. Yeah, but, you know, state lines yeah, and everything. No. Right. <laughs> All those technicalities. All right. And then speaking of technicalities, our 10th and final question. If both the president and vice president can no longer serve, who becomes president? Speaker of the House. Yep. Mm. That's also unfortunate right now. <laughs> so congratulations. You guys get to stay. <laughs> Well, I think that does it for this week's episode of Millennial. Josh, it was great having you on. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thank you again for your support over at patreon.com slash millennial. Uh, Laura and I posted a couple things while Laura was visiting here. Yeah. And uh, including a photo of my dog enjoying that new donut toy. And Laura got like a a, mar- a tub-sized margarita I got on the first two. Tub-sized margaritas. We went to a place that was just born for Instagram. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, it really was. I asked if they had this thing called... What was it called? Like a... Bathtub... burrito or some shit. I thought it was like double burrito. Double... I don't know. know. It was was basically two margaritas in one, but they like brought you a bucket to drink out of. (laughs) It was amazing. (laughs) Do you get to have it all yourself, or is it one of those things where two people have to show ID? Oh, no. It's all to yourself. I love that. And it's like an extra large straw, (laughs) so you can suck it as much as possible. (laughs) Anyway, so we really appreciate everyone's support at patreon.com slash millennial. It keeps this show going each and every week, and to thank you, we give you benefits in return, like... The bonus audio that we do, Hashing It Out, After Dark, The Landy Show. We'll do it live! You can join us as we record each episode, typically on Monday nights, and the uh, chance to guest host the show as well. Um, By the way, speaking of upcoming episodes, so I just wanted to give everybody a preview of the next two weeks. Next week, our episode will be released on Wednesday, and then the week after that, that'll be our post-election episode. (gasps) That will be released the Thursday of election week. So we will record on Wednesday after all the results are in and we'll discuss what the hell happened. Hopefully we won't be crying too much. Hopefully we can talk about Beto winning. <laughs> and Stacey Abrams. Yes. Vote Abrams. They're in a, statistic, a statistical dead heat here in Georgia. Pat said he was listening to an NPR podcast this morning and they were talking about the race in Georgia and the suppression that's going on. Yeah, it's real fucked up. Hmm. Uh, also, and- speaking of our Patreon, please don't forget that between now and November 1st, you can sign up for your first month at the $5 tier, send us a confirmation of your voter registration, and we will give you that first month for free. Thanks again, everybody, for your support. And uh, in After Dark today, we are going to play devil's advocate. We are going to argue for or against rescinding the citizenship of anyone who can't pass the test. (laughs) I love this game. And we have some WTF news stories to talk about as well. And Josh, you'll be joining us for all of that because we just can't get over your sexy radio voice. 
Why, thank you. Or at least I can't. <laughs> All right. So our closing song this week, I thought um, in honor of everyone who doesn't know where the Statue of Liberty is, we'll play American Idiot by Green Day. <laughs> I love it. A Laura, a Laura T. favorite. Yes. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. I'm Pamela. And I'm Josh. Bye, everybody. Bye.